to left corner to Aguila. Aguila the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. Save made by Aguila. Three rebound. Another shot. They score! The Flames win it! Yeah, baby! They score! And the sea of red erupts. Flames talk starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson. Okay, happy Wednesday. We are underway this hour. It is Wednesday, November 22nd with Wes Gilbertson of Post Media. It's Pat Steinberg along with you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Hopefully your Wednesday is going along nicely. You know, it, uh, as, as the Flames continue their four-game road trip and as they try to work themselves back out of the hole they dug themselves and maybe work themselves back to the 500 mark, sure does feel like Jonathan Huberdeau's game has started to trend in the right direction again. And I don't know, I thought he had got off to a pretty decent start to the season, then it really dropped off, and that conversation was front of mind again, and he took a lot of criticism. There were a lot of conversations had about how he wasn't playing well for a good three or four weeks but now five points in his last three games starting with that Vancouver game where he had a goal and an assist followed that up with I thought a really good game uh, against the Islanders where he had an assist and then in Seattle has a goal and an assist assists on the game winning goal in overtime I don't know he just he looks more dynamic over the last two or three games you know, I know he put up points in the Vancouver game, but I was like, okay, well, yeah, that, that's big for him. It's been the last two games specifically where I felt like we've seen a lot of the things that you want to see out of Jonathan Huberto. He's He's been a dynamic player the last couple of games. Yeah, funny enough, I actually thought the best of his three games was the game against the Islanders when he was only rewarded with the one point. Yeah. But they're... You know, he finally gets that goal and he gets the ovation on home ice and, and he talked about what it could potentially do for his confidence. But he, he also talked about, hey, it's just one goal. Like, I, this needs to... I don't want to be a guy who it's... And I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but Jonathan Huberto doesn't want to be a guy that it's a big story every time he scores a goal. Yep. And yep. what we've seen is that that boost in confidence I, I think was real I, I think we've seen a guy who maybe feels a little bit more like himself out there and and it's a really encouraging development for the Calgary Flames what uh is is it is it simply that he scored the goal against Vancouver that he got that really nice ovation I, I know that this is rhetorical because we don't know the answer but I'm I'm just curious like did that did that give him a big boost in his confidence was this something that was trending in the right direction to begin with was it something internally or behind closed doors because he really does look like a more confident player too I, I look back to couple of the plays he made in the third period on Monday night in Seattle, like that pass that he made to Nikita Zadorov off the right side boards. And he was kind of falling spun right. and saw him out of the eyes in the back of his head spun and put it right on his tape. And Zadorov had a really good opportunity to tie the game right there. Like, okay. I don't know if there's another player on the team who makes that pass. And he's, there's been three or four of those passes the last couple of games where you could say the same thing. And they haven't necessarily resulted in goals or points, but you just are are seeing that playmaking level where it feels like, yeah, okay, th- that's that's the elite playmaker everybody's been talking about. Yeah, and that's what we that's what we just weren't seeing for 
probably a chunk of let's say 12 games or or whatever it was and for too many stretches of last season it I I don't know that he was telegraphing his passes but it seemed like everyone in the building knew who Jonathan Huberto was about to try to pass to and his passes were like far too often not getting through to the intended recipient and when you play with a, a creative flair the way Jonathan Huberto does, that's going to happen sometimes. But it, it just felt like his game was sort of predictable for a while. And that Zadorov um, play that you, you talk about, the, the pass to Nikita Zadorov in the third period Monday, was a great example of, I think, him starting to show that vision again. Him starting to not just have the confidence to try those passes, but to actually be completing them. Because for the longest time, it felt like he was probably trying what would be considered the more simple pass. And yet it was kind of so obvious where he was going with it that it was a little bit like a quarterback throwing into double coverage on a lot of occasions. And so I I think the confidence boost, you you kind of ask why, right? The confidence boost, I, I think, was certainly part of it you know i had a conversation with with jonathan huberto actually the morning of that vancouver game and and he was and this is a guy who cares so much he was talking about how hard it is to forget about his struggles when he goes home from, from that's right rink. i was i was listening to you have that conversation with him basically you asked him like you know you try to unwind and you try to decompress and you try to but like can you ever actually escape it was basically the the road you were going down and he essentially went down that road himself in, in saying right now, all I think about is hockey. It was actually kind of funny. Eric Francis and I were asking, well, what, what do you do to get away from it? And he said, my girlfriend and I have been playing ping pong. And then in his very funny sense of humor, he added, at least I'm good at that. Like that <laughs> That's where his, yep. his confidence yep. kind of was at that point. But so the confidence boost, just getting that goal against Vancouver. And, and I do think, the sea of red deserves some credit. I do think that ovation boosted him up. He noticed it. There's it no question. Did. He noticed it. I also think just being put on a line with Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman and, and sort of just the stability that they bring the, the fact that quite frankly, and we talk about Michael Backlund in, in this way all the time, but I think Blake Coleman belongs in the same conversation. They make guys better. Oh, and, absolutely. And I think that's been a big part of it as well. Well, and I, I also think strategically, um, strategically, I think that it is a really good move, especially knowing what has ailed him or some of the things that have ailed him. Because playing on that line with more defensive starts and having to play a more 200-foot game, it it just naturally forces you to skate more. And I think that's been one of the issues that's been pointed to by a lot of different people is that too many times we've seen Jonathan Huberto take a puck and be stationary, and when you're not an explosive, big burst skater, that's not going to suit your game very well. So a lot of times he'll get a puck and then start to move, and that's not his strength, so he's he becomes pretty easy to track down sure. and becomes pretty easy to get sticks in lanes and all that type of stuff. So this way... You're starting at the other end a little more often. You're playing against really good opposition on the other side, which forces you to skate a little bit more. I just think strategically or X's and O's wise, it's had a a pretty good rub off on him. And hopefully 
if when they do put them elsewhere, and maybe they won't. Maybe this is something that we see for for a much longer period of time, and I think we'd all understand why. It's been very good the last two games. But if he does move back with Lindholm or you do put him with Kadri, well, then there's something that maybe is pretty evident for himself that, yeah, you know what, I, I'm feeling better because I'm skating more, and, and maybe it just translates to whatever line he plays on going forward. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think, when we've had conversations with Nazem Kadri lately, and before you scream at your radio, I'm not vouching or, or pushing for Nazem Kadri and Jonathan Huberdo to be on a line together again. I, I've not seen it work very well, but I, your comment made me think about some of the things Nazem Kadri has said lately in terms of trying to learn his young line mates and, and sort of that you need to understand the way a guy plays and you need to understand what he's probably thinking it. And that's when you start to develop that chemistry that we so often talk about. And I think even as Jonathan Huberto feels better about his game, whoever he's playing with is going to have a better understanding of what he's trying to do out there, what he can do out there. I, th- I think he's, and I'm going to sound like Ryan Huska because this is a buzzword he uses, but he he's become less predictable to opponents but I'm not sure he's become less predictable to teammates. And, right. and that's a good thing. Let's uh, hear a little bit from Jonathan. This was him on Wednesday morning in Nashville ahead of Calgary's game against the Predators talking about, you know, what's been a little bit different from him over the last two or three games. Yeah, yeah, I do. I think I'm creating way more stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, some guys I could have probably had, had more points, but I think it's, uh, like I said, I think it's more creating and be like, you know, somebody that's on the ice and creating some 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 stuff and be like um, you know tough to, to play against and I think that the past weekend has been like that so is that uh, partly the battle part is that partly what you know your line specifically has done real well over the last what, you know since you guys have been together three games together? yeah I think we're going to be a hard line to play against and you know I think we, we've been I mean, we want to you know, we don't want to get scored too much, and but we want to be in their zone as much as, as we can. And I think, like, you know, with, with these two guys, we're, you know, we're talking a lot, and the communication is there, yeah. and it's uh, it's been good on, on that note. And I think we just got to keep going. I think it's, it's going well so far, so just, you know, be a, be a tough line to play against. That's what we want to be. Can you feel that start to snowball in terms of, you know, you have a couple of good shifts and then it's a couple of good games and just the confidence as a trio like that together? Yeah, it changed your mindset. Obviously, yeah. coming into games, and you know what you can do. But, yeah, it's more like, you know, poise with with the puck yeah. that, you know, it's been, it's been better. And, you know, obviously trusting yourself a little bit more. So making these plays and, you know, the, these no-look no look plays and stuff like that. So it's been... It's been better i think it's just to, like i said not at the top yet but just to to get these few games obviously felt good personally so that's jonathan huberdo uh that's uh, from wednesday morning in nashville and here's head coach ryan huska talking about jonathan a little earlier on wednesday as well the last three games in particular he's been more i don't know if i want to say energized or more intense with his play like and, and now he's he's around the puck a lot more these last three games and he's making plays like like we know he can make so it's nice to see when a player gets involved in a game like that and you know history coaching highly skilled players like that does it lead to some of the offense too and building some confidence i think it does i mean a lot of times when guys are going the other direction they try too much to make the cute play instead of just getting back to hard hockey if you want to call it that so if that means finishing a check or taking a hit um, to make a play, that sometimes is enough to get you going. So that's Ryan Huska earlier on Wednesday as well. I just want to throw these numbers out 
the last couple of games for the Coleman Huberdo backland line, they've been at a offensive zone faceoff uh, ratio under thirty percent. So taking neutral zones out of it, comparing just offensive and defensive zone faceoffs, more than seventy percent of their faceoffs have been taken in the defensive zone the last couple of games. And, and you. You watch these numbers a little bit closer than I do. That's pretty standard for back for the back line, line yeah. yeah. But prior to that, if you if you want to, um, what it was before for Jonathan for Jonathan, yeah. he was up around seven. The other way around, On the like other side, seventy yeah. percent of his shift starting in the offensive zone. So it's it's a big shift, and that's why. Look, I don't know if that's a hundred percent the reason, or or if I am completely off base. So he was uh, he was up so. He, He's at 61.8% on the season for his offensive zone start ratio at five on five and under 30% in the two games he's played with Backlund. So that's a pretty big swing yeah. in terms of where you're starting your shifts. And so I just, I wonder if, if that has something to do with it, if it's forced him to skate a little bit more and if forcing him to skate a little bit more has helped him a little bit with being more of an effective individual player. It, and you know what it could be as well, Pat, is just, giving him something else to take pride in. Like, I think when Jonathan Huberto was going through that offensive dry spell that he was, you know, it was always about points. Why aren't you producing more? Why why aren't you scoring any goals? Why can't you, you know, why aren't you yeah. getting any assists? And, and I know that's, listen, this guy set a record for assists by a left winger. He judges himself on offensive production as well. And I'm not here to say that that shouldn't be the top priority for Jonathan Huberto, but... I wonder if this is just something else that he can take some pride in and gain some confidence from, right? Now the coach is trusting you to go out and and do a different sort of job. It's not at the end of the night, if you don't have any points, it's not going to be a a complete failure if you've sort of served that shutdown role. It was was funny the other night watching the game. I don't know if funny is the right word, but you're kind of watching it and you're like, geez, Jonathan Huberto, by the eye test, has has had a really strong game. And and I think overall, everyone would say that he did in Seattle. And yet, that line was minus two for a little bit. Yep. And that's, you know, I know we're going to talk about Blake Coleman later. We talked tons about Michael Backlund. That's that's a surprising number. I, I think it was bad luck in, in at least one instance as much as anything. But that's just another thing that sort of shutdown work is another thing that Jonathan Huberto can take some pride in. And I think it's possible for him to generate even more confidence because of that. Well, and you just go take a look at the way that Ryan Huska has rolled his lines the last couple of games. The backland line was the only line that stayed together basically all night right. going into the third period on Monday. And even going back to the Saturday game against the Islanders, uh, that line was essentially the number two line. Uh, there is a big difference between the, the Kadri line and the Backland line were clearly the top two lines, and there was a pretty significant five-on-five drop to the Lindholm line. So um, on Saturday against the Islanders, Kadri line played 12.03 at five-on-five. Backland line played 11.37. Lindholm line played 9.31. And so you're like, okay, it's. I know that we point to the Lindholm line and always say, well, is that the number one line? But the backland line has been a whole lot closer to the number one line here over the last little bit. And if Huberto continues to play the way that he is and you see him more dynamic, like he has been the last couple games on a regular basis, 
then maybe we're starting to talk about that as, as this team's 1A or 1B line. It, it makes sense. I mean, we heard from Blake Coleman after the game, um, I guess after the game on Saturday against the New York Islanders, talking about how th- this team needs a scoring by committee approach. Like yeah. he, he was asked, I asked him about being the team leader at that point with five goals. And one of the things he said is, well, I, I bet we have, and, and this was highlighted on the Sportsnet broadcast a couple nights later, he said, I bet we have a ton of guys with three or four. That that has to be the way we operate as a team. And so with that in mind, why can't the backland line be your number one line? Quite frankly, if you asked me going into Monday for sure, and it's changed a little with Connor Zary sitting out tonight, but if you asked me what the number one line was for the past few games, I probably would have said the Kadri line. But if if that's the debate we're having, you know, who is the number one line, but it's because you have a couple of them producing finally, yeah. then you've taken a step. Uh, a few texts at 960-960. This from Mike. The answer to Huberto's turnaround is Backlund. One of this combo dating back to October of last season, but for whatever reason, the Huberto-Lindholm combo was forced down our throats. And then this reads, I said it a few weeks ago, let's see Huberto be consistent. I'm so happy he's had some success lately. Keep it going. Also, I'm happy Huska finally turned on the radio and listened to the professionals about putting him on a line with backs. Well, I, don't, I don't know if he's um, listening to the professionals on the radio, at least not this radio station. I was going to say, what the, station What professionals is that? are you talking about? I don't hear any. On, let me touch where's on, Vickers? Let me touch on the consistency really quick, and that, that's a great text, and it's a good point. I think that's why... Just because he called us professionals? Well, yeah. I think that's why Monday's performance was so important for Jonathan Huberto and, you know, to see him get the power play goal, to see him show a little bit of edge by running over Brandon Tanev, like everything that that went into Monday, I think was really important because I thought Saturday against the New York Islanders was his best performance of this season so far. And for a guy who has been consistent the other direction to see him then stack a few good ones on top of each other, Absolutely. It can't just yep. be two or three good games, but to see him start to string them together is is an important starting point for Jonathan. I know this. If he is not this on a more regular basis, they're not getting to where they want to go. They're not going to be a team that, you know, wins playoff rounds and, and is a factor. They're, they're going to be, they will be nothing but a middle of the road team at best. If Huberto isn't a dynamic player regularly, they might be, even if he is, but it, if he is, at least it gives them a chance of having a little bit more of an offensive high end. It gives them a chance of being a little bit more than a mid range team. Yeah. They need him to be a point per game guy. They they need, at the end of the season, you need Jonathan Huberto in the 80-point range. Yep. Uh, this from Dustin. Jens, to me, seems like having that extra defensive responsibility is resulting in Huberto thinking less about the offensive part and instead of thinking of how to create, he's creating through reacting to what's being given. It's great to see. Could very well be the case. Who Who's that from? That's Dustin in Calgary. Yeah, Dustin sounds closer to a professional than we do. Yeah, we should Dustin have him are, in. You, sh- you should come host this. You're that, the professional. That's a great point. Uh, and Mike, on the other hand, let's not jump the gun on Huberto. It's been a few games. We don't need to roll out the red carpet just yet. Let's be realistic. I agree, and that's what Wes just said. Two, three games, awesome, promising, need to see it but also need to see it for 20 or 30 games as opposed to, to well, you know what? There's uh, 
you know, 68 games left. Is that correct? No, it's not. But there's 60 plus 64. games. 64. Six, yeah, so I was close enough. Yeah. There's 60 plus games left. Yeah. Um, oh, we yeah. need to see it for 60 plus games. This is not, you know, when the podcast gets uploaded, the title will not be Jonathan Huberto is fixed. Yeah. But this is encouraging. Pat and Wes, along with you this hour on Flames Talk, there was certainly a little hubbub when people saw no Connor Zary in Calgary's projected lineup against the Predators. Remember, his ice time was limited big time in the third period of Monday's win over Seattle. It was him and Walker Dewar who mostly saw, they basically went down to 10 forwards in the third period on Monday, and, and Dewar and Zary were the two that had their ice time scaled back. But this is not a healthy scratch. Here's head coach Ryan Huska on why no Connor Zary Wednesday in Nashville. You know, he is a little bit banged up. So okay. I, I will I will say that. So, um, you know, his feet weren't going the way you know, we'd expect them to go, but he's dealing with something that was fun. So that might explain why Zary's been a little less effective the last game or two. Uh, he's been dealing with something, so they'll give him a little maintenance game on the road in Nashville. Yeah, certainly an encouraging sign that he was able to participate in morning ski today in, in Nashville. That means whatever has been bugging him is hopefully not too big of a deal, but it, it's a good indication that, hey, this is a young guy who has some things to learn about the NHL still, and instead of, and has some momentum going, and in instead of, you know, hurt his confidence or, or kind of force a bad game on him by asking him to play at whatever percent he's at. Yep. You know, if this is something that can be addressed and then they don't have to worry about going forward, um, seems to make perfect sense to me. Hey, look, if you, uh, if you were to ask me the biggest reasons why the flames have turned things around and, and what have been the key reasons for their five, one and two run here, I'd probably start with Kadri and I would probably go right next to Zarian Pospisil. So not having him, you, you lose a little bit of that jolt that he's given you. But if he's dealing with something, you might as well not push it. As you mentioned, he's a young player. Uh, maybe a little maintenance will, will help. And uh, he's back to being that guy who's given them a jolt for more often than, than not when he's been in. I'm going to go off script here on you, but I want to add a name to your list because I I think we're seeing the Rasmus Anderson that you expect to see again as well. I really do think he's brought his game to another level in the the past few. Uh, Just quickly before uh, we get to the round table this hour, it's also Dylan Dubé's 300th career NHL game. Uh, Spoke with him on Wednesday morning as he's going to be on our pregame show a little bit later on Wednesday evening. Just a a little bit uh, with Dylan Dubé on getting into his 300th career NHL game. Yeah, no, it's good. It's uh, uh, definitely an accomplishment. I think now you first try and come to the league, you don't really set too many goals for yourself. So to get to that is a nice number, but um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, just another number, just another game, and really all that matters is the is winning tonight, and and you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully it goes well. That'll be the most important thing. It was uh, five years ago yesterday that you scored your first NHL goal. I'm just, I'm, I'm curious. You know, you go back to that year where you made the team out of camp, and now where you are, about five years later. Just overall, how has your NHL experience changed, and and what uh, what have you seen growth-wise from yourself in your five years in this league? Uh, oh, and I feel like it's, uh, to be honest, it's happened pretty quick. It's been, uh, doesn't feel like five years, but, you know, with COVID and everything going on there, I feel like I had a little bit of a different, a uh, little bit of a different, uh, you know, 
path to start a year with a lot of guys that are, you know, around my age is a little different, but I had a little more maturity and, um, you know, I was getting used to playing the NHL schedule and getting used to lifestyle a little more. I think when you're pretty young, it's, uh, you know, pretty hard on your body throughout it. So 300 NHL games now for Dylan Dubé, uh, as you heard there on Tuesday was the uh, five-year anniversary of his first NHL goal. Uh, Three goals, six points so far this year. I still think that there are Dubé's trying to find where he fits best. He's going to play in Nashville on Kadri's line with Pospisil, with Zeri sitting out. Um, but sometimes I wonder if just the overall versatility that because he can play center, because he can play both wings, I sometimes wonder if that makes it hard for Dylan to stick in any one spot because a coach says, well, he's kind of a Swiss Army knife, so we can use him here and somebody else can go there. Sometimes I, I don't want to say it hurts him, right. but sometimes I, I think that his versatility can uh, make it difficult for a coach to keep him on any one line for any period of time. C- coaches talk about pairs a lot when it comes to, to forwards. That you're, you're trying to build lines, but the, the foundation is really your pairs with Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman, Blake yeah. Coleman being a prime example. Um, I, I would say certainly with Nazem Kadri and Connor Zary about to become a prime example, even what they were trying to accomplish with Huberto and, and Elias Lindholm. Dylan Dubé, to me, never seems to be a part of the pair. He He's one of those guys because of his versatility who gets bounced around it. And I, I think it can be tough for him to find uh, a, a little bit of a foothold that way sometimes. And yet I would also say, and I think if, if Dylan was in studio with us right now, he'd agree. He's one of those guys who probably hasn't offered as much as, as he's capable of so far this season. And I thought it was encouraging for Dylan that when the bench shortened up, in Seattle, he was yeah. such a big part of it that, that they were finding ways to to work him in because I think that was a reward for what was a yep. a better performance from him. He, he's a guy who hasn't totally found it this season for me, but perhaps he's starting, as so many guys I think are have turned that corner in the last little while, he'd be on that list for me. Pat Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson, along with you this hour on Flames Talk. We're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Do you have cracks in your walls, floors, or ceilings? Visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. They are all things basement This is Flames Talk. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, time now for the Daily Flames Roundtable for Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024. It's Pat Steinberg, Wes Gilbertson of Post Media. Now Derek Wills, voice of the Calgary Flames, joins us to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable. Well, gents, uh, during this 5-1-2 and two stretch for the Flames in their last eight games, Plenty of comebacks. Comebacks to win, comebacks to force overtime or a shootout to get a point. Um, so I guess I uh, I would ask you this one. Mostly a good thing that they've been able to do it, or is it a team playing from behind too often? How do you look at the resilience and the comeback nature of the Flames the last uh, eight games or so? Yes to both. <laughs> I mean, ultimately... It's a results-based business, and it's hard to complain about 
any win when you're talking about a team that lost six in a row and appeared to be out of the playoff picture. And it's crazy. They were five points back not that long ago. And with a win tonight and some help on the out-of-town scoreboard, they can be in a tie for the wildcard spots in the Western Conference. So hard for me to get overly critical with the way they've been playing of late. Five, one, and two in their last eight games. That's pretty darn impressive. Now, in a perfect world, you wouldn't have to battle back all the time. You would play with the lead from start to finish and win that way. But We're not living in a perfect world, that's for sure. And the Flames are not a perfect team, but I give them credit for finding ways to win and for digging deep in a lot of games. Uh, They have fought back to pick up at least a point in six of the last eight games. That's pretty crazy when you think about that. They've trailed in all of those games and found a way to get at least one point in, in six of them. So Uh, Good on them for finding ways to win. They remind me a little bit of that 2014-2015 Findaway Flames team, although this one I think has a lot more talent than that one did. And That one uh, featured a couple of goals uh, where they pulled their goaltender not once but twice and and fought back to win hockey games in the dying minutes and uh, put pucks off the uh, parking lot attendant and uh, the beer sales guy and scoreboarding into the net. Uh, They haven't done any crazy things like that, at least not yet, but and ultimately, I, I do think that they can still be better, but they're finding ways to win, and, and that's the most important thing when you're trying to fight back into a playoff race. I think Monday in Seattle was a really good measuring stick for me. And, and let me start by answering the question, which is by agreeing with Wilsey. It is, the answer is both. It's a good thing, but it, you're also playing from behind too often. But Monday was was a really good check in for me in the sense that when they gave up those two goals in a span of two minutes and four seconds in the second period during that six game losing streak or at any point in at the start of the season that was the type of laps that would have absolutely sunk the flames and they wouldn't have come back from it if it was during that six game skid and they gave up two and 204 they probably would have given up a third one about five minutes later and then it would have been game over forget about it and so of all the comebacks and and maybe there's some recency bias here monday was really important not only did they finish it in overtime which is obviously an important step for a team that has had no luck in in three on three but i think the fact that it was so reminiscent at least from my vantage point of the type of of lapses, momentary lapses that absolutely just sunk this team during that losing skid. I I think the fact that they were able to battle back from that one, especially was, was pretty telling to me that, that this is a, a different group that, that there's a different sense of belief than there was a few weeks ago. Yeah. I'd, I'd lean mostly positive on it. With a big caveat that if the if it starts to be the case that they start winning more than they lose and and it's not always with these third period pushes and come from behind victories because I I, I think that it's good it's a good belief builder but if this team is going to get to where it wants to go they probably are going to need to play with the lead a little bit more. They're probably going to need to enter third periods with leads a little bit more. So I think it's, especially if their game continues to build and go in the right direction. And if it does, then I think they'll be having to come from behind less than they are right now. 
then yeah, I think it's positive because you don't take the points away um, and you don't take the belief that it builds away. And so in three months time, if they're playing in what month would that be? February. Uh, if they're playing in late February, Very impressive. I did it. There. I yeah, did it. Pretty impressive. <laughs> um, if they're playing in late February and, and they're fighting tooth and nail for a playoff spot, like we all expect they've got a chance to do well, all of a sudden it's pretty easy to go back and say, well, yeah, we've done this time and time again this season. So if, if the frequency of it comes down a little bit going forward, I think it's mostly positive because as I said, you don't take the points away, but even more importantly, I don't think you take like the confidence and the belief that it builds away from a locker room either. Yeah. And for me, those intangibles are so important and those intangibles were lacking for this team last season. And at the start of this season, I mean, the flames found new and inventive ways to lose games that they should have won over the past year and a bit. And they've started to change that narrative a little bit, which has been really positive, but I'll say this, when you look at the games where they battled back to pick up two points or at least one, uh, they did it versus the Kraken, not a great team, versus the Predators, not a great team, versus the Maple Leafs, they're a really good team, but they only got one point and not two in that game, versus the Canucks, they're off to a great start this season, versus the Islanders, they're kind of mid, and versus the Kraken again, not a, a great team. So. I think it's going to be a really important moving forward when the schedule gets harder, which for me starts on Friday. You've got a back-to-back that starts in Dallas versus the Central Division leading stars and then ends in Colorado versus the the second-place team in the Central in the Avalanche. You don't want to be chasing in games against really good teams, at least not often, because it's going to be hard to to fight back and win those games because chances are they're good 200-foot teams with good goaltending, and also the ability to potentially outscore some issues defensively if they have them in those games. So, uh, yeah, they've got away with it against uh, some not-so-great teams, but uh, I think they'd be best served to try to play with the lead a little bit more often as they get set for a a stretch against really good teams. Boys, I I could be wrong here because I haven't read my radio and podcasting for dummies book lately. But uh, I believe we we're going to talk about the schedule coming up. Is that is that a segue we I just had that there? Would be. I believe that would be a segue, which is actually sp- spelt S-E-G-U-E, uh, not S-E-G-W-A-Y. It is a good segue, however, on our Daily Flames Roundtable. Uh, he is... Uh, Smartass Wes Gilbertson. Uh, he's Derek Wills. And my name is Pat Steinberg. We are underway on our Daily Flames Roundtable. It's true, though. Wilsey, you, you telegraphed it because this game against Nashville, the Preds are a competitive team. They're in the mix with a bunch of other teams in the Western Conference. But all of a sudden, you take a look at the next 13 for the Flames after this game against the Preds, and you're, ta- you're talking about a big-time gauntlet both home and road. There's two against Vegas in there. There's two against Dallas in there. Vancouver's in there. Colorado's in there twice. You've got Tampa and Florida. Like this is a very, very difficult 13 game stretch that begins starting on Friday night. I guess, I guess to me, the thing that hits home, first of all, feels like getting two points against Nashville is pretty important to make it six, one and two in your last nine more points you can bank going into a stretch like this seems pretty important right now. It really does. And I said it before the road trip started, when you looked at the schedule of four games in six nights and you looked at who they were playing, I said prior to 
game one of the trip on Monday night that the Flames better pick up some points uh, in the first two games versus the Kraken and the Predators because the next two games get tougher in, in more ways than one. You, you take on the top two teams in the Central Division, two Stanley Cup contenders in the Stars and the Avalanche, and it's a tough back-to-back. So if they could put two more points in the bank and guarantee a 500 road trip, then that would be cooking with gas, in my opinion, because I'm not saying that the next two games would be a bonus if you picked up any points, but a 500 road trip with four and six, not the worst thing in the world. So, yeah, two points tonight would be really important. And you know, on yesterday's roundtable, we talked about uh, what are the Flames? Are they the team that was two, seven and one in their first 10 games or are they the team that's five, one and two in their last eight games or are they somewhere in between those two teams? I think they're probably more the the latter than the former because I thought they were really uh, struggling individually and collectively to start the season. And now all of a sudden, and I don't know if it was individuals playing better that lead to, led to more team success or you know, the team playing better that led to more individual success. I had that conversation with Kale McLean earlier today, the chicken or the egg conversation. But, you know, they're, they're trending in the right direction individually and collectively right now. But I think we're going to know what this team is, guys before the Christmas break because their schedule gets really tough starting this Friday. And if, if they can keep their head above water, then I think they're going to be in the mix for a playoff spot. And they're probably going to give uh, Craig Conroy and the management group a lot to think about if uh, they had ideas of a, a rebuild or a retool, but if they don't do well during this next, next stretch of games, then it might make uh, decisions a lot easier for management when it comes to the direction of this team and, and what to do with uh, the big UFAs. Wilsey, I don't want to spoil the uh, coaches show on, on pregame, but what was Kale McLean's answer to that? I'm really curious whether he thought it was individuals driving team success or, or team success resulting in, in better individual performances. Long answer, short, Wes, both. Yeah, makes sense. And the reason I asked him the question was because a couple of weeks ago when the, the team was really struggling and so many of the Flames' top players were really struggling, uh, I asked Ryan Huska about that and if that was, in a way, uh, a light at the end of the tunnel because I, I assumed that he would say yes because if you get your top guys going, chances are uh, the team's going to get going uh, as they kind of towed them along with them. Um, but he kind of turned it. And he said it was more about the team struggling than about individual players struggling and thought if they could get the team uh, game in a good place that individuals would kind of follow along. So that's why I, I thought I would ask Kale McLean about it, but he basically said it's both. Yeah, makes sense. And the the sort of, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the added, maybe the bolstered confidence in the team game is going to be so important when we talk about yeah. this gauntlet that they're going into, right? You you hope, and you raise a good point, you hope to get two points out of Nashville because it, it sort of takes the pressure off going into your back-to-back against Dallas and Colorado. You're already 500 at worst for the road trip, but, you know, you look at, at what's coming up with the champs in the Vegas Golden Knights twice. You have the Avalanche twice. You have the Stars twice. You have the... Carolina Hurricanes and the New Jersey Devils like the fact that the Flames are feeling better about their team game the fact that I think they're feeling a lot better about the way they're defending if if you're going to come out of that gauntlet with a decent record you're going to need that yeah and I mean going back to what you said earlier Wilsey I also like I think it's important to pick up these points against Nashville 
and and I think it's important for the Flames to start beating better teams because they've escaped by the skin of their teeth against some pretty mediocre opponents over the last little bit. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Calgary's efforts because I think that they are they they've been strong and and the resilience we talked about on the first half of the round table is an important thing to build early in the season. But you know I think if we start talking about this team falling behind after 40 minutes of play against Dallas or Colorado or Vegas, the the record's going to start to reflect the that a whole lot more negatively. And so I just I I want to see them start to I want to see them start to beat better opponents and do so in a way that you're like, okay, this team was very much on the same level as that group and they beat them straight up, heads up. And so I I, I think you're right. I, I think that this will tell us potentially a lot about this group. I mean, they end up taking eight or nine of 13 against the next 13 after Nashville. Maybe we are having a little bit of a different conversation about what this team is. If they're a 500 group against them then that's kind of just, they're a 500 team right now, and they'd be a 500 team at the end of it. I'm just, I'm really curious to see how they stack up because they have not had a lot of elite opponents as of late. They have scraped by some meh opponents with some good comebacks. And now I'm really curious to see if better opponents bring more out of the Flames and if the Flames are able to answer that bell. Long story short, also feels like pretty important to get two points against the Predators on Wednesday night. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if you get two points against the Predators tonight and you could get two more points on the trip, I don't even care how you get them, whether it's uh, two overtime or shootout losses or one win and one loss, whatever. For me, that would be a great road trip. And if you could even get two points tonight and one more point, that would be a good road trip considering how tough the schedule is. And guys, it's pretty crazy. Not that long ago, getting back to 500 in the win-loss column and getting back in the playoff race in the Western Conference that looked like a, a long ways away for this Flames team. And now suddenly, by going 5-1-2 and two in their last eight, with a win tonight, uh, they are back to 500 as far as wins and losses. And they're probably going to be in one of the two wildcard spots, or at least tied for one of the two wildcard spots in the Western Conference. So this team has come up a long way in a pretty short period of time. And, you know, individually, a number of their top players have turned the corner. We've talked about... Elias Lindholm and Jonathan Huberto, but I think it's worth also mentioning Rasmus Anderson, who I didn't look like, think looked like the same guy after his suspension. And then he has his best game of the season, scoring the overtime winner and adding a couple of assists uh, on Monday night versus the Kraken. So, you know, individually, a bunch of guys have really started to play a lot closer to their potential. And, you know, the team's talked about the fact that uh, they've kind of wrapped their heads around uh, their new way of playing, especially in the defensive zone, and that's allowed them to play a lot faster of late. So we're going to find out a lot about this team uh, in the 13 games coming up and, and really starting with a couple uh, later this week. But, man, if you can put two more points to the bank tonight and continue to build some of those intangibles, belief, confidence, swagger, and they've got some momentum right now, so you'd love to, to keep it going to get this road trip started. All right. Thank you, Wilsey. We'll do it again on Thursday. Okay. See you in a bit. He is Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. As we wrap things up on our Daily Flames Roundtable on this Wednesday edition of Flames Talk, I, I do think um, I, I do think it's big to pick up points against Nashville. I also think that I, I still, like, I know that they are talking a lot about it's important to get back to 500. 
You better be better than 500. You know, getting back to 500 is a good accomplishment, knowing how far back you were right. at 2-7-1. and one, You're still going to need to be like 15 games above 500 to make the playoffs in this league. Like, hey, that's go back to, uh, you go back to last year and last year's standings just quickly. Um, Winnipeg was the last playoff team to clinch their spot. They, they backed into a playoff spot and they were 13 games above 500. And that was, and they were five back of the next best team in the playoffs. And so what was Winnipeg's record? Uh, they were 46, 33 and three at 95 points. Only three overtime losses. Yeah. I think that was a storyline last year. Seem to remember that. Yes. Yeah. And, and your flames, uh, you're the right. flames had um, 17. You, if you, if you fancy yourself a playoff team, you're going to need to be a lot better than 500. And yet, as we keep harping on how difficult the upcoming schedule is, if you could get to mid-December at 500, I think that would be a, a pretty good starting point. It's got to be a lot better, but just knowing the caliber of competition coming up, if you could be 500 in mid-December, you'd probably feel pretty good about it. At least, I think, in mid-December, 500 keeps you close. Yeah, and, and just... When I say feel pretty good about it, I mean based on where you were a few weeks ago. Yeah. Wes Gilbertson's on Twitter, at Wes Gilbertson. Cam Taylor, our producers, this hour. And that'll wrap us up on the Daily Flames Roundtable and this hour. Daily Flames Roundtable for Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The GLC 300 formatic coupe is built for winter. Loyalty lease rate of 3.99% on a 48-month lease. Zero down for $1,099 a month. No payments until 2024.